Today we're starting a new series of messages. It's called Fixing Our Eyes on Jesus. Can you say that? Okay, great. Today we're going to talk about Jesus' teaching. In the weeks ahead, we're going to talk about his miracles, his sacrifice, and then his resurrection. But I want to focus on today on Jesus as a teacher. And um, he taught about the foundation for your life. He taught about how to have a sure foundation for your life. Now, we know in this world that we're living in, a lot of things get shaken. Uh, whether it be circumstances, whether there be storms of life, whether they happen in our families, but things can be shaken. And Jesus wants us to understand that he is a firm foundation that we could build our life upon. And uh, when you think about what are you building your life upon, think about that. And the portion that was read, that Cynthia read from the Bible, is from Matthew chapter 7. But it actually is the last verses of a famous sermon that Jesus spoke of. It's from Matthew 5 through 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. I'm sure you've heard of it. The Sermon on the Mount is probably the most prolific sermon that Jesus had ever preached. And historians have always looked at that as the most uh, powerful sermon that has ever been preached. And you can look at it later. We're not going to have time to look into all of it. But the thing that made this sermon so special and so amazing in the sight of those that heard it was Jesus' authority to be able to speak the way that he spoke. And what I mean by that is this. When other rabbis had given a sermon, they would quote from another rabbi that had lived before them. And so they would say, just like Galea says, and then they would say, then they would speak about it. And then the prophets who spoke for God, they would always preface their statements by, thus saith the Lord. And then they would say what they were going to say. If it was prophetic or whether it was a warning or an admonition, they would speak it. But when Jesus spoke, he did none of that. He didn't say, thus saith the Lord, or this is what the other rabbi says. What did Jesus do? He would say, you have heard that it was said before, but I tell you. Or he would say, verily, verily, I say to you. Jesus wasn't using any other authority but himself as the Son of God, as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords. Jesus knew who he was, and so he spoke out of that and spoke the very word of God. In fact, the Bible says Jesus was the word of God made flesh, and he dwelt among us, right? John chapter 1, right? So... So God has this, Jesus gave his, Jesus spoke with authority that was so powerful that people stood in amazement at him. And here's some references from this sermon. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You know, what Jesus was doing, he was expanding the commands to apply to the motivations of our heart. He just wasn't saying murder is wrong. He was saying that even before you commit the murder, 
You're going to be so angry. That is what's motivating you to do that. And that's the sinful nature within you. And so he would expand it, just not on behavior, but what was happening inside your heart or your soul. So Jesus raised the standard of what it meant to live like a child of God, to define yourself of who you were. He said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus said, you know, you've heard that it says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I'm saying, no, I want you to love your enemies. Now, when the people heard this, they had never heard anything like this before. It's usually you fought your enemies and you killed your enemies before they killed you. But Jesus changed the whole meaning of what it meant to follow God and identify as a child of God to be something so powerful that the only way that we could keep what Jesus was saying was if we had a transformation in our soul. That's the only way we could do it. C.K. Chesterton says, The Bible tells us to love our neighbors and our enemies probably because they are generally the same people. Isn't that true? We're supposed to love our neighbors and our enemies because probably they're people that live right around us or we, that we work with. So Jesus was expanding that, and it can apply to our lives today. Jesus spoke about multiple topics on this sermon. He talked about sex, adultery, marriage, divorce, money, anxiety, fasting, prayer, all of this. He said, you've heard what was said this, but let me tell you what it's really about. And he spoke with authority. So if you get a chance to read the Sermon on the Mount later on, open up your Bibles and get into it and read it. But I'm telling you this, if you really read it slowly and try to apply it to your life, it'll transform you. It'll really transform you if you do it with God's power and his strength in your life. But so what happens at the end of this sermon? The Bible says that when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. So there was something about the way Jesus spoke, not only about what he spoke, but what he said. Not only how he spoke with authority, but what he said. And they said, compared to anybody else we've ever heard, this person speaks with authority and their jaws were like, you know, nobody was sleeping when Jesus was preaching. They were really captivated by what he had to say. And, you know, Jesus was speaking with authority that comes from God, his Father. The core of his being, his identity as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world. And it was coming out when Jesus spoke and what he did. The miracles that we did. Next week we're going to talk about the miracles that Jesus did. But he spoke with such authority that people said, there's something different about this teacher from all the rest. And we've got to listen to him. And so Jesus concludes his sermon, and he ties it all together with a simple story. And Jesus was a great storyteller. And whether he told a long story or a short story, it was always a story that people could relate to. So he talked about two people building a house. And the one builds his house on the sand. The other one builds his house, digs deep, and builds it on bedrock, on a rock. 
And then he says there's a storm that happens. There's one storm that happens. And it's the same storm, but the man whose house is built on the rock withstands the storm. And the one that builds it on the sand, his house is swept away by the flood. And there's a great disaster and turmoil. And he says, therefore, any of you who hears these words of mine and you put them into practice, it's like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had as its foundation on the rock. It was built on the rock. So Jesus is saying in his teaching, He's challenging us to evaluate what we're building our life on. He's challenging us to say, do we need to change what we're building our life on? Do we need to switch things around? Do we need to make a course adjustment in our lives? And he's also saying, what is happening on the inside of our hearts? Not just our outward behavior, but what's going on inside the motivations of our hearts. And he's motivating us to take a faith-filled risk to trust and obey him at all costs. He says, build your house, build your life on me, not on anything else. You know, we've all seen pictures, and recently we've seen pictures of Nebraska and the floods in Nebraska, the floods in Mozambique, the terrible tragedies that have happened through these storms that are coming through. And the picture I always get in my mind is I see this house coming down a river, and they take the picture of the house floating in the middle of a river, and it's rushing down, and then it's going to hit a bridge that the water is just up to the top of the bridge. You know, and then it, and then it is destroyed. And uh, it's it's such a vivid picture in my mind. But uh, it again shows like if your house isn't built on a rock and built in the right place, it's subject to flooding. It's subject to des- uh, to destruction. And Jesus was making that illustration to speak about our own lives. There's a, a case in point in San Francisco. It not only happens with little houses, but it also happens in huge buildings, skyscrapers. There's this building in San Francisco, San Francisco called the Millennium Tower. It's been sinking and tilting for years, although it contains some of the most beautiful and luxurious condos in all of California, and they're priced between $1.6 and $10 million dollars. Joe Montana owns one. I don't know if you young people know who Joe Montana is. Famous football player. He's a quarterback. And uh, some say the best that ever played the game. But anyway, there's there's the foundation and the, the integrity of the foundation is questionable. Since its opening in 2009, the 58-story skyscraper has sunk 17 inches and tilted another 14 inches to the northwest and is generating concerns among residents that the foundation could jeopardize their safety. And the structure's unsteady footing has given rise to a host of other controversies, including weakening home values, accusations of fraud, years of legal battles. Residents have complained of mysterious odors, Bubbling floors, cracked walls and windows. 
Uh, I think we see some of those right here. And so people are getting upset. And so they've done a study, and Heng Chang, being an architect, would probably understand this. The most obvious reason is that the tower's concrete structure was never anchored to the bedrock to support its weight. Since it was not anchored in the bedrock nearly 200 feet below the surface, it's sinking in soil, tilting, cracking, and becoming more and more unstable. See, even the Millennium Towers is a modern-day illustration of what Jesus taught 2,000 years ago. You need a solid foundation for your life. You need something that will hold the weight of your life, of the storms of life, of the things that we will face. We need Him to be the very center and foundation of our lives. You know, Jesus concluded His sermon this way, I think, because He knew it was possible for people to listen to His teaching and never put it into practice. Isn't that easy to do? You can hear a great message, say, wow, Pastor Al hit it out of the park this year, this week. And then we go out and we start yelling at our wife about something else. And so what's happening is we're hearing something, but yet it's not affecting our lives. And that can happen, can it? It's possible for a person to hear the teachings about Jesus and even hear hundreds of sermons, come to the conclusion that it's true, but yet it make no impact deeply in their soul and in their life, and they don't take action on it. That happens. That happens in people's life. You know, I think about our Alpha, stu- our alpha study on Wednesday evenings. You know, the teachings are so clear, so powerful. Every time we hear a talk, it like just speaks to everybody so well. And it's, it is so clearly defined, the, the messages and the way it's communicated and everything. But I know, I know what can happen. You can sit and hear those messages and it never really impact your life. That can happen. That can happen in our lives. It's excellent teaching. We're learning about who Jesus is, why he died, how to have faith, how to pray, how to read the Bible, who the Holy Spirit is, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But unless there is an action that we take on what he said, it doesn't really sink down deep. And our foundation of our life isn't changed. You know, we could, after we leave, and the principal, after we leave today, and we hear the message today, and we look at what Jesus said here, because he said, you know, you know, if you put it into practice, we can think that, you know, if I just try a little harder, my life will have a foundation. And Jesus is not saying that. He's not saying, if you just try a little harder, things are going to go better for you. He's saying... You have to reconstruct the whole foundation of your life. You need a total life change, rebirth, renewal in the Holy Spirit and be founded, find your life 
on his principles and who he is, the personhood of Jesus Christ, and have a relationship with him. And that takes a miracle. It really does. It's a supernatural experience and a miracle for that to happen. And that's why Jesus says, you have to be born of the Holy Spirit. You have to have the Holy Spirit do something inside your life and then that bring you to build your life upon His truth and His foundation that He's given you, His very self. Now, I remember when I was first married, I became a father. And uh, I became a father pretty quickly. A year after we were married, I became a father. And then, boom, I became a father of two. And boom, again, I became a father of three in five years of marriage. And so we were like, talk about baby central, diapers, waking up, feedings, and all these things. My wife did most of it. But I felt overwhelmed as a father. And there was times, and it was the very thing that caused me to say, I've got to go deeper in my relationship with God because I I thought I was a pretty good guy at self-sacrifice, patience, and love. But when it comes to being a father of children, little babies, it, it takes more than that. It takes much more than that. You need to have a strength that goes beyond you if you really want to love your kids the way that God wants you to love them. And there's times when I failed in that role. There's times when I just didn't meet the mark that I knew that God wanted me to. And you know, it was those times when I knew that I wasn't depending upon God and I wasn't depending on His Spirit and my foundation has shifted over to something else rather than God. You see, when we shift our foundation, when we start building on other things rather than God, it becomes, our lives become unstable and shaky and cracked. You know, I've had an opportunity to officiate a lot of weddings. They are wonderful events. The wedding day, the pictures, the food, the venue, however elaborate and expensive it is, it cannot be a foundation for a marriage. It just can't. It can't be the foundation of a marriage. The foundation of a marriage that really lasts, that will grow and be built up, is when two people who have said, Jesus, we want you as the foundation of our marriage and a foundation of our life, and from that relationship, we're going to love and serve one another 100%. That can withhold any storm when you have two people that are walking together with God and he's in the center of that marriage then you're able to keep the vow to love to honor to cherish to love each other in sickness and in health he gives you the strength to do that you can apply the same principles of a foundation to a career whether you desire to become a business person a lawyer a doctor an engineer an artist Whatever God has called you to do as a person, He has called you to do it in such a way that He wants to empower you to do it and strengthen you to do it and enable you to do it and enable you to be in meetings and make decisions. And I'll tell you, sometimes you've got to make, if you're in the medical field, you've got to make life-threatening decisions. 
that, that the decision you make could impact a person's life. And no matter what you're doing, whether you're a teacher or a lawyer or whatever, Jesus has designed us so that we are building our life upon him. And he wants to be the foundation of our life. He just says, make sure you're anchored in me, guided by me, dependent upon me, because only then will your life have the best possible result. Jesus says, it can't happen until your life, your soul, your heart, your mind is embedded in mine. It can't happen unless you have decided it's worth it to build your life upon me. You see, the Millennium Tower architects thought that they did not, they did not have to anchor in the bedrock 200 feet below the surface. That would have taken an awful lot of time. Cost a tremendous amount of money. And they had done a study and then they got another study. Maybe they did a Google search. I don't know. But they found somebody that would agree with them that they didn't have to do it. And so they didn't do it. I mean, you can Google anything to agree with you, whatever you want to do in life. Right? You can find somebody that says it's okay to do what you want to do. But Jesus in his authority says, no, I want you to do it this way. This is the very best thing for your life. Follow me. Do what I say. And so, Jesus comes to us and he wants us to build our life upon him. There's a verse that says, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? I want to tell you, foundations in culture, in family, in personal life, they can be shaken. And they will shake in the storms. And so the psalmist asked this question, what can you do? I know what you can do. You can drill down into God's love, his care, his compassion, his truth. And you can build from there. You begin to build your faith from there. You begin to build your life from there. You begin to make your decisions from there. And it makes a difference in how you live your life. I'm telling you, it is so confusing for young people living today. I I don't know how you guys do it. There's so many different messages coming at you all the time. But you know what? God's message stands true. Jesus still has the same authority that he had 2,000 years ago. He has the same authority today. He says, if you'll build your life upon me and my teaching and put it into practice, he will bless your life. He will guide you. He will direct you. He'll use you to bless other people and help other people. He will do that. But you know, we we can drift off from the foundation of Jesus Christ into many other things. There's a man, came, a man named Coleman Mockler. Uh, he is considered today as the model of an effective CEO. He was a Harvard Business School graduate with an MBA. He had gone to work for Gillette Corporation and steadily worked his way up the ladder to CEO. Has anybody ever heard of this guy? I never heard about him either. Although Gillette was 75 years old, Coleman took the company to new heights of success. Under his management, they came to dominate the market. After 16 years as a CEO, 
Coleman was at the top of the world. Forbes magazine had just put him on the cover of their next issue, celebrating his leadership and his success. The magazine wouldn't hit the newsstand for another week, but on the morning of January 25, 1991, they had sent him an advanced copy to review. The rest of the executives literally applauded him as he carried the magazine back to his office. And in so many ways, it was a fantastically great day for Coleman. Decades of hard work had brought him to this point. He had beaten back three hostile takeover bids, revolutionized the company. He had increased the value of the stock 50-fold. He was literally celebrated on the cover of the business world, and with millions in the bank, he had just announced that he would be retiring in a few months. But there was one thing that made it unexpectedly a tragic day. With the staff applauding, Coleman walked down to the hall, stepped into his office, shut the door, crumbled to the floor. Within moments, he was dead of a massive heart attack, still clutching Forbes magazine that featured him on the cover. Coleman Mockler was only 61 years old. He had reached a pinnacle of success, was on the cover of Forbes magazine, and yet we do not have any evidence that his life was built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. He had built something wonderful, and in the world's eyes, he was on top of the world. But he was missing one thing. He was missing a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, many may say it really doesn't matter. The guy was a huge success. Come on, Al. He's famous. He's brilliant. He's a millionaire. But honestly, I never heard of the guy. I don't think, I don't think many people know about him. See, fame and fortune is so fleeting. And sometimes we compare ourselves to this guy or this woman or this situation, but I'm telling you, build your foundation on Jesus Christ. You'll be so secure. You'll know who you are. You'll know where you're supposed to go. You'll understand that you, don't, you can face any trial in the future because Jesus will keep you. Yes, there'll be storms. There'll be things that happen, but you will be secure because Jesus Christ is the foundation of your life. Now, I've known many successful business people. They served on the advisory board of a ministry that I was a part of, World Impact. They were huge successes. They were entertainers, business people, but they had built their life upon Christ. I'm not saying that God doesn't want you to be uh, great, but he wants you to be great by being a great servant and being used by him in whatever way He calls you in whatever career he calls you to. But when at the end of our life, at the end of our life, when we die, the Bible says that we will face Christ. As believers, we'll face Christ. And he will then look at the foundation that we've laid. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's only one foundation that will last through eternity. And it's the foundation that Jesus laid at the cross for you and I to be forgiven. That pathway to get us to heaven. 
It goes on in Corinthians and it says this. This is verse 11, verse 12 in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians says this. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he has built survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. You know, it matters how we build our life. It matters to Jesus how we build our life. What we do with our life, what we do with our time, what we do with our finances, it matters to Him. It does. He delights in somebody that builds their life on Him and does it for Him. Lori and I have a saying in our home that summarizes this saying in one sentence. It says, One life will soon be passed, but only what's done for Christ will last. And I remember Lori got this uh, plaque. I was going to bring it today, but I forgot it. It's a little plaque. It's about 11 and a half by 8 and a half. But she bought it when she was 18 years old. It just blows my mind that she would buy this when she's 18 years old. She had been at a summer camp. And at the summer camp, it was particularly difficult, hot summer She was volunteering. She wasn't getting paid much. Worst thing was she was separated from me. Lonely. And so she's doing this for the Lord. And then she sees this plaque and she says, I'm going to buy this because I think this is so true. One life will soon be passed, but only what's done for Christ will last. You know, what I found is that some people really understand Jesus' teaching intellectually. But, they don't carry the author- but it doesn't carry the authority in their life for transformation. So you can understand Jesus' teaching intellectually. You can even look at the original language. And you can, you can understand a bunch of things about what Jesus taught. But when the Spirit of God comes into your life and He says, this is true, I want you to follow in this way. Then you obey and you follow. And it's like the pylons of your life go deep down into the bedrock of Jesus Christ. And your life becomes more secure, stable, and significant. You see, the Millennium Towers owners and the builders came to a conclusion after they had done the study, after the building was tilting, after the walls were cracking, after the people were complaining that their house values were going down, they did a study and they said, we're going to allocate $100 million to drill down 200 feet and into the bedrock so we can secure this building. You know, I'm so glad that Christ, he always gives us a chance to redevelop the foundation of our lives and to put down our lives into his presence and in his power and who he is. 
See, Jesus teaching on two people, building two different foundations. One is wise, makes the adjustment through deep repentance. He digs down into the foundation, the bedrock. The other builds on a faulty foundation. And the results are tremendously different. There are others who have good intentions but never make the commitment to dig down deep in their souls to Jesus Christ. So what are some action steps to put into practice Christ's teaching? One is to realize it takes a deep repentance and a surrender to anchor anchor your life in Christ. It takes that. It takes a deep looking at, okay, what am I really building my life on here? What is really the most important thing or person in my life? And to reevaluate that. Because what is the most important thing or person in your life is really the foundation you're building on. I'm not saying you shouldn't love your wife or your children. I know I love mine and I know I love my children and my grandchildren. But I can't build my life on them. It just, it won't hold the weight of my soul in the storms of life. It just won't. That's what Jesus said. He said, you've got to build it on me. He spoke it with such authority that he didn't leave any question about it. Even though we may question it, he didn't leave any question to it. We can't do it on our own human effort. We need to depend upon the Lord. If you're going to put a foundation in Jesus Christ, it's impossible to do it without the power of the Holy Spirit and without a surrendered life. It's just, it, you don't want religion. Relig- don't build your life on religion, on a bunch of rules. You, you, you build it on a person, the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you and who was resurrected, who still speaks today and still empowers people through the Holy Spirit. The storms of life, they'll come at us all. They will. But there is no fear of Christ as our foundation. There does not have to be the amount of fear and anxiety because ultimately he's in charge. He's in control. And for build your life, build and live your life in such a way that what you do will last right into eternity. One life will soon be passed, but only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you, Lord, that you still speak into our lives about building our lives upon you and not on something or someone else. And Lord, I pray for every person that is here today, young and old, that will evaluate our lives in light of what you've spoken. And Lord, that we would place our lives on the very foundation of your love, your mercy, your compassion, your power that was demonstrated at the cross and at the resurrection. So Lord, have your way today. Have your way in our lives. Lord, if you need to um, have us make a change of direction, 
if you need us to dig down deeper than we ever have before into your word and into your presence. Give us the courage to do that, Lord. Help us not to take shortcuts. Help us to uh, be transformed by your power. We pray this in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.